With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe with you once again. Rob, how you doing, man? Doing better. Caught a little <laughs> something on the weekend, but uh, bounced back and uh, ready to go for a new week. Uh, glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. A big week it is. And uh, we'll, we'll we'll start with basketball as we have, you know, for really the, the life of this pod that you and I have done together because it's been the big topic and it's been a fun season. There's been a lot to talk about. Uh, but you just got off the phone with Fran McCaffrey on a teleconference. Uh, so we'll start with that. And uh, you, you and I haven't even really talked since you got on onto this. I guess the first big question, I saw some Twitter action on this. Did Fran have much of an up? update on cj frederick and his health it's uh it's pretty much the same as going into the ohio state game andrew where he's questionable uh that's the way i would list it if you're looking at like a official uh injury report uh the quote was we're still not sure we're still working on it so take from that what you will um he went on to say uh after a lot, later on in the teleconference that uh cj really wants to play but they're not going to put him out there until he's ready and that's kind of they haven't practiced yet today which is uh monday february the 24th we're recording in the morning they they practice i believe at three o'clock so they'll get a look at him again then and then they'll do some things again tomorrow once they get to east lansing and test it again like they did on thursday before the ohio state game and he was out in early warmups on Thursday before Ohio State, but then when they came out for layup lines and stuff, he was in a suit. So I had asked Fran after the Thursday game how close he was, and he gave me a, you know, a relatively close. Um, but I, it's just I don't think they're going to take any chances with him, and wisely so. Yeah, you know, on one hand, you certainly want him there if he's ready to go uh, tomorrow night against Michigan State. But on the other, and Fran has said this several times, and I don't think it's just coach speak. It's a long-term play for him and and for CJ and. These next four games are certainly important, and these next two maybe more so than than the final two, but. The Big Ten tournament is is awaiting the NCAA tournament. That's where uh, you, you're really going to kind of make your hay in this season. And and so if, if you need to wait another week for CJ to be out there 100%, I think you do that. But, man, as a fan, it'd be nice to see him out there in, in East Lansing tomorrow night. And, you know, just ba- reading tea leaves, and I'm not very good at that, so take, take that with a grain of salt. But it, it felt like he was close to playing last Thursday. So, like, in my little fan world, I've got my hopes <laughs> up that, that he is going to play tomorrow night. 
Yeah, and I mean, there's. I certainly wouldn't be surprised either way. I mean, we've talked about this on the last few pods, Andrew. We didn't think he'd come back from the stress reaction in his foot as quickly as he did. But the one thing that keeps sticking out to me in with this injury is, you know, in talking to his uncle Joe, Joe Frederick, and comments from Fran and Tim Miles in the Minnesota game, they all commented on the color of CJ's foot from this ankle injury and the different shades of purple. It's a pretty severe ankle injury that it's just hard to predict how quickly he's going to be able to to get back on. He's running. He's been running since last week, but that's different in basketball than being able to cut, defend, jump, you know, slide laterally, things like that that you need to do on a basketball court. I think what uh, you know, what the coaches want to see, what the trainers are, are looking for is that he has the capability to do all this, those things and isn't in danger of re-injuring it and then putting himself even further behind. And as you mentioned, Andrew, the goals are bigger than just the next couple games for this season. It's you know making some hay in the postseason, postseason as well, excuse me, and you don't want to risk any of that. You certainly don't, and even to get into like that top four, it's, it's not worth risking anything long term for CJ. If 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 we need him uh, at at any point, it'll be later in the season rather than right now. While we're talking about CJ, I just wanted to ask you your opinion on this. I've I've seen a lot of people talk about Joe Wieskamp and his uh, lack of production is too strong because he had 13 points in the game against Ohio State. He didn't have a terrible game, but just two points in the win over Minnesota. I think one of six for three um, against Ohio. State Thursday night at home how much of of his kind of I mean I current funk I guess although again I I hesitate to put too strong of a a word on it Uh, how much of that do you equate to CJ not being out there and defense is really being able to focus on Wieskamp as the the three-point threat at first blush Andrew you look at the statistics and you're like man what's wrong with Joe Wieskamp but if you watch the games and I've gone back and rewatched the last two games. He is facing not quite as much attention as Luca Garza, but it's close. And for a wing player, it's a lot harder to establish yourself when you have two or three people hanging all over you because you're trying to get to the basket or free yourself up for a shot. And if you look at how wide open Connor McCaffrey was when he hit a big three at the beginning of Ohio State game, uh, Joe Toussaint hit a couple of threes where people were in the same. They, I don't think they were in Johnson County, the defenders on him. <laughs> um, and I think you would agree with this. You're going to try to take away Garza and Wieskamp without Frederick there and then just let anybody else beat you. And to Iowa's credit, it's been able to do that the last two games. And particularly against Ohio State, you had Creener score double figures, Evelyn score double figures. All right, so anything else uh, from the McCaffrey news conference today, the pre- or the, the teleconference that you were a part of? Any, any other news, any other tidbits that you found interesting uh, before we move on? Not really. Um, he advocated a little bit for and, and was asked about Luca Garza's player, national player of the year and postseason award candidacies. Um, and he advocated for Luca, obviously. And I think that's going to go on here for the next whenever, however long that is before those awards are announced. And uh, he's, you know, Luca's on the radar now and he continues night in and night out to put the to put the numbers up there. And if Iowa keeps winning, he's going to be fine. So, um, you know, I think we'll see some of that going forward here where uh, the university puts out, you know, some promotional material for Luca. Um, 
and just kind of the campaign is on right now, so we'll have to see how that stuff goes. But historical type stuff for Iowa. Uh, if Luke is able to win some of these awards, first team All American, Player of the Year, things like that. So, um, in addition to the success of the team overall, uh, you know, its star player is certainly helping to garner some more national attention. You know, that's that's one of those things, Rob, that I don't want to take for granted, right? Because, uh, first of all, we don't know if, if Garza will be back for a senior season or not at this point. Uh, I, I, I lean towards he probably will, just based on you know things I've heard, but I don't know him or his family, and so that's that's really just a guess for me, and and kind of the way his game is, and um, and what he what I think he'll be able to do professionally versus what he's going to be able to do uh, with another season at Iowa. But it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that national um, talking point goes for him because what I, th- I think it was last weekend uh, just over a week ago ESPN put out that poll on Twitter and you know you don't want to make too much of it but you know they put out a poll you know which big man is more you know most likely to win the 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 award or I don't remember exactly how they worded it but Garza wasn't even one of the options and every every response to it was Hawkeye fans saying what are you doing man Garza's Garza's the guy here um I didn't think much of that, but Keith Murphy here locally said something that you know he he wonders if that signals kind of a lack of uh, of awareness of of Luca. I think the university is doing the right thing by putting a marketing campaign together to, to get his name out there. I think I saw Dick Vitale talk about Luca this weekend, and so his name is certainly getting out there. As you said, if he keeps doing what he's doing and Iowa keeps winning, uh, that it'll take care of itself. But it is going to be interesting to see. You know, I, th- I think he's got a better shot for Big Ten Player of the Year. It'll be interesting to. See see nationally especially if Iowa doesn't win you know the next four games and and maybe isn't one of the top teams in the Big Ten um where his kind of candidacy for this goes but but again I just don't want to take for granted what we're watching here and I feel like there's a, we, we all have a tendency to do that I do that also after that Ohio State game it's like man Evelyn had 15 points and Pemsel with that spin move and nine points and fantastic and uh, here's Garza you know getting 24 and, and six and leading the team as always and we just kind of we've come to kind of expect what he does every night which is still remarkable but when you expect it it kind of it feels less so i guess yeah i mean he's so consistent that sometimes it's easy that makes it easier to take it for granted because you just expect it and he is just at night in and night out you know what you're going to get from him he's productive um he seems to have a knack for um, getting his team going with his play he's very emotional um you know you can see it you know, when I'm on the court shooting photos, I can see how the guys kind of feed off of his energy and everybody else gets involved in that. And those are the types of things, Andrew, that people, you know, that vote for some of these awards on a national level don't see. And that's not to take anything away from some of the other candidates for these awards, because I'm sure they have a great impact on their teams as well. Um but this is my, I think, 23rd season covering Iowa basketball. And, I mean, I've seen a lot of really good players come through here. But Luca's at just different. He's just a – he's a different cat. And, you know, whereas some of these other guys that are, you know, in you know have candidates or, or have candidacies for these awards, Luca really came out of nowhere this season to do this. He was a good, solid Big Ten player, but not at this level, whereas some of those other guys, their campaigns started last year or the year before or were, you know, some of the top freshmen uh, had that, you know, had some of the buzz coming for them before they even got to college basketball. Um, but I think if people look at this objectively and just look at, 
you know, statistically, historically what he's doing here, you know, with his, you know, scoring average in the Big Ten being the highest since the big dog back in the early night. I mean, just it's just some historical things that, you know, if you put them in context, let you know the type of season he's having. I think he's got a real shot, but it's pretty wide open and he's going to have to keep this up. And then Iowa's going to have to do well on the national stage, and that's going to start at the Big Ten tournament. They can get into that Saturday game that's on national television that pe- you know all eyes will be on, and he play- performs well there. And then wherever Iowa goes for the NCAA tournament, he's going to need some good performances there as well. And then that kind of will uh, – all that stuff will help him uh, get the individual awards if they do well as a team. And I will say this now, and I know there's been a lot of – speculation about whether or not Luca Garza is an NBA player. And I admit I don't follow the game as much in the, at the NBA level as I used to. This kid's going to play in the NBA. Mm. There's, at this point, I don't doubt him at all. Yeah. And he's not and, – and I think when people think NBA, Andrew, they're thinking, well, who's he going to be? And they try to – they try to use do you know compare him to yes. you know you know like a Luka Doncic or you know somebody who's a, a, one of the world's best players that you don't have to be one of the world's best players to be in the league. He will find a role in this league, whether it's five or ten minutes coming off the bench to give you you know a six ten six eleven almost seven foot guy that can come out and hit three pointers. You know has you know just be his skill level and his creativity and his ability to do things on the court that maybe defy his athleticism I would be willing to bet money that he's going to make it in the league. You know, it's it's you know, we, we don't talk much about cyclones here on this podcast, and for good reason. But I remember when George Niang was was a senior and, and was going into the NBA um, here locally in, in Central Iowa on KXNO. We had John Walters, the voice of the Cyclones, on one of our shows, and we're talking about his draft status. And uh, you know, they're they're picking him apart with numbers and height and weight and all all of this, you know, athleticism, all of this kind of same stuff we hear about Luca. He doesn't look like a, an NBA player. He doesn't fit. He doesn't, you know correspond to any of these other guys we know as you said he's not Luka Doncic and and John Walters just said you know at some point being really good at basketball has to count for something and I, I love that line and I think that's exactly right and and I'm I'm with you with what you're saying with uh, with Luka Garza, I don't know where he'll play or or where where he'll be drafted. But if somebody gives him a chance, the way this kid works, the control he has of his body, uh, he he will certainly make hay somewhere. Um, it, it'll just be interesting to see when when that is. Hopefully, you know we're not talking about that for another thirteen months or so. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned the bench uh, against Ohio State. Don't want to talk too much about that game. I did a way too long instant reaction uh, on Thursday night. Um, I, I sat down and started talking. This team is just so much fun to talk about. I just kept talking. And talking, but Bakari Evelyn, Cordell Pemsel, the last couple of games they've really kind of come into it. Uh, Pemsel has found kind of his sophomore season uh, magic that we haven't seen in a while, and Bakari Evelyn is, is doing things in a Hawkeye uniform we just haven't seen him do. And, and for him, it's been like a three game kind of increase here. Do you Do you think that? The way that they're playing is sustainable. I mean, is is this something now that we can? Expect is probably too big of a word, but you know maybe maybe come to uh, to to look for if not every game, you know most games out out of Iowa's you know short bench. I would say yes, Andrew, and the reason why is they're both veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bakari's a fifth year senior, um, Cordell's a fourth year junior. They've been through this all. You know, they they know the game. They're men. Those guys are twenty two, twenty three years old. Um, 
it's really mental with them. It's, it's about confidence. It's about, you know, and, and carving out your role. And it, and it took both of those guys some time this season to figure out how they fit into this puzzle. Um, and I think we've seen over the last several games for both guys how they fit in and where they fit in. And that's why I think it's sustainable. That's not to say they're going to go out and, you know, contribute 24 points off the bench every night, but I think they can give you minutes, night in, good minutes, night in and night out and support a really strong starting five. And it's really, it's so important with the, I don't say up and down play or inconsistent play, but maybe that's accurate for Joe Toussaint is a guy who I think is also getting better as the season goes on and almost isn't a freshman anymore. But the the ability to be able to go to Bakari Evelyn, especially late in games and those two free throws he hit at Minnesota with, you know, with the crowd coming down on his head. That, that's real encouraging. That's got to be – and it gives the coaching staff, staff confidence too that they can go to these guys whenever they need to. So, yeah, it's all part of the puzzle. And then I think once you get C.J. Frederick back, that gives you – uh, you know, a, a, a fifth-year senior in, senior in Evelyn, a fourth-year senior in Creener, and a, a third and a fourth-year junior in, in Cordell Pemsel coming off your bench. Mm. A lot of times in college basketball, you're looking at young guys that are still trying to find their way, or the guys that are coming off the bench. Iowa comes off its bench with some senior men, and that's really important. That is that, that I hadn't even considered that, but you're exactly right. That's that's really interesting. Hopefully, we see more out of those guys, more games like we did against Ohio State. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Moving on here a little bit. Uh, the, the AP poll is out for the, the coming week. Uh, the top 25. Iowa has moved up two spots to number 18 in the country. Nice. So the Hawkeyes at 19 and 8, up to 18th. And it will be a showdown of ranked teams tomorrow night in East Lansing as Michigan State has re entered the rankings at 24th. Um, several Big Ten teams have, have moved or, or entered the rankings. We'll start down with Maryland. Maryland dropped two spots with the loss to Indiana, but they're, they're still in the top ten, uh, ranked ninth. They're the top-ranked Big Ten team, clearly. Ohio, or uh, rather, Penn State is dropped all the way to 16th with that loss to Indiana. So Penn State at 16, Iowa at 18, Michigan, winners of five in a row, at 19. So Michigan back in the top 20. And then Mich- uh, Ohio State, rather, moved up two spots, even with that loss to Iowa, uh, but the win over Maryland. They moved up two spots to 23rd, and then Michigan State in at 24. Fourth, so um, so what was Penn State again? Penn State down to sixteen. Penn State sixteenth, two spots ahead of Iowa. So Iowa gets twenty four, number twenty (laughs) four on the road tomorrow night, and then comes home for number sixteen on Saturday. (laughs) That's right. That is right. (laughs) So. A chance for a huge week. Uh, Really great opportunities. Absolutely, you know, and I, I think. I think you 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 need to go one and one in these two to stay in this hunt for the top four, don't you? Yeah, I would agree. And, and obviously, you know, you, you figure that uh, that the road tomorrow is going to be the tougher one. And, yeah. and 
Michigan State's been a house of horrors. And I'm looking at the net rankings, too, Andrew. You've got uh, Michigan State is number 13 okay. in the net rankings. And then Penn State is number 25. Iowa is number 27. So important in, in that regard as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I saw Dave Schwartz on, on HawkeyeNation.com. Uh, he does a fun piece each uh, each Sunday, you know, kind of 10 sentences. And he, he proclaims this game tomorrow night the biggest game in the Fran McCaffrey era. Now he says, you know, obviously – the field goal posts move a lot when you're talking about biggest game of an era um, and you know each game feels like it, it could get bigger at this point but uh, just reading quickly from his piece which again you can read on HawkeyeNation.com by 8pm Tuesday night we'll know where the Hawkeyes stand and even if they lose it won't mean the season is a failure on the contrary the Hawkeyes have exceeded expectations and McCaffrey deserves conference coach of the year consideration but if they win Tuesday it'll represent something more something special perhaps the start of something new and if not that the Hawkeyes slip a few spots in the Big Ten next year. At least they will have the rarest of jewels, which is a meaningful win over Michigan State. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd go all the way to biggest game in the McCaffrey era, but I, I guess it may be the biggest win in the McCaffrey era when you look at where Iowa is in the standings uh, alongside Michigan State and what three other teams, two other teams, so Penn State, Iowa, Michigan State, and Wisconsin all at 10-6 and six, tied for second in the Big Ten right now. Illinois could join that group with a win over over Nebraska tonight, so probably a five-way tie for second place. And to have one of your games against one of those other teams and really kind of be able to take a step, uh, separate yourself a little bit from Michigan State and and get into that, that second position alone. I don't know who else plays tomorrow night. I haven't looked quite that closely at those other schedules, but if not the biggest game in the McCaffrey era, certainly – uh, a huge game with a lot on the line tomorrow night in East Lansing. Yeah, I'm not good at those comparisons on biggest games and things like that. And, and you know, I, I guess the the interesting thing is, is if they win tomorrow night, then the biggest be- game becomes Saturday <laughs> against Penn State because yes. now you're, you know, now you're moving in and maybe having a chance to push for that top spot depending on what happens around you. But um, I was looking up the the, you know, the history of this Michigan state series, Andrew and Iowa won in East Lansing. If you remember back in, in January of 2016, when they had it really going well with the, you know, with the Utah Woodbury gazelle. Yeah. Cause uh, they, they, play, they, they swept Michigan state, like in the first four or five games of the conference. Right. And got a huge win. Then the previous win in East Lansing prior to that January 2016 game uh, was in 1993 (laughs) after Chris Street passed away. Oh, my gosh. So when people talk about how tough it is to win in East Lansing for Iowa, there's your illustration. It just does not happen very often. And, yes, this is not – I wouldn't call this a – Vintage Spartan squad um, definitely has some cracks in the armor, and we've seen that. Believe it's lost at home to Penn State and Maryland, two very good teams, but still lost. You know, Michigan State doesn't lose two home games at, at you know in the Big Ten very often in the same season. So certainly they're you know it's it's vulnerable. Um, but for Iowa, this has really been a big hurdle. So a lot of. Uh, just a lot of history on the line tomorrow night when they go there. Michigan State really needs this game too, um, <laughs> and I'm I'm not one Andrew that um, pays a lot of mind or, or just gets myself in a lather over the officiating. Yeah, but 
it's it's real with Izzo. It, it just sure. is, especially at home. He he's so good at working these guys, and it's just another thing that Iowa is going to have to overcome tomorrow night is the Izzo and the Izzo effect. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I hadn't really looked closely at Michigan State's schedule. Uh, I was thinking Iowa had the toughest kind of Final Four games of, of those teams among the top, but Michigan State certainly does. They they host Iowa tomorrow night, then they are at Maryland, and then mm-hmm. at Penn State before hosting Ohio State. So all four of their, their final games are against ranked teams, and you bring up the, the Maryland and Penn State games at home. Those are their last two home games. They've lost two and a row at Breslin so on one hand you know maybe they're they're vulnerable there as you said on the other hand they certainly need a win and, and a win over a ranked to top 20 Iowa team who's tied with them in the conference I mean this has to be a, a, almost other maybe than that 2015-2016 year as high as Iowa has been coming into into Breslin uh, you know getting as much attention from Michigan State as, as the Hawkeyes will tomorrow night so man that stat though 1993 good god and and thing that I've kind of had in my mind too with this one Andrew is we've seen this before where Michigan State teams have been kind of up and down during the regular season and then they just hit that next gear uh, end of February beginning of March and that that's kind of got me a little wary about tomorrow night too that they look at this Iowa game you know normally Iowa comes in there and it's it's Iowa you know but this is like you said this is a top 20 team team that's tied with it in the standings Iowa's not coming in under the radar tomorrow night. This is a really big opportunity for Michigan State, too. So I would expect Iowa to get Michigan State's best shot. Whew, big, big game. Need to get off to a good start. Can't can't get in one of those big holes. You know, if Iowa can battle and it's it's close at halftime and, you know, they're, they're within a few possessions late, I think. I'm just hoping not to see some ticky-tack foul uh, on, on, on Luca. Yeah. One of the couple of those early where it takes him out of the game because Izzo's complaining and whining the whole and you're right he, he will have the refs prime for that right he'll have the refs looking at looking at garza early um oh man <laughs> big big game big big game i was looking at the schedules too and if you're looking at you know teams that are around iowa i i still go back to illinois mm. illinois as you said has nebraska tonight then it's at northwestern so you're figuring that's two wins that puts them at 11 and 6 then they have Indiana at home, at Ohio State, and then Iowa at home. Oof. That's pretty favorable. They've got the most games left because they've only played 15 games, but a really favorable schedule there. And then I think Wisconsin's another one that kind of stands out to me as a team that has a manageable schedule. They do. It's at Michigan uh, later this week, and then gets Minnesota and Northwestern at home. And then at Indiana. So if you compare those to what Iowa has, it's an easier road. But can't play the games on paper. Got to play them on the court. That's right. Wisconsin is the winners of four in a row too. Seems like they've kind of found themselves after you know what you know that that game against Iowa and you know Kobe King transferring out and all, all yep. of that. Uh, it felt like it may be falling apart for Wisconsin, but they, they've really kind of regathered things and they're right in the right in the hunt, right in the thick of it. It, the the Big Ten standings right now are are nuts with with four games to go for most teams, five for a couple. Um, 
You know, four teams tied for second, just two games behind Maryland at 10 and 6. You have Illinois who could join them tonight with a win against Nebraska. I think we all expect that to happen. Uh, but then even further back, it's uh, the, basically spot two to spot 10, all the way down to Ohio State, are separated by two games. Uh, and you really, you could throw Minnesota in there with, with one extra game. Uh, I saw Brendan Stiles tweet something from Reddit today where somebody had put together a scenario where 10 teams could tie for first place in the Big Ten. Do we expect that to happen? Obviously not. But just the fact that we're sitting here late February with you know just a handful of games left, and there's this many teams who have a shot. I mean, Iowa could I, I, win the league is probably a stretch, as you'd probably need Maryland to, to kind of lose out at this point. But uh, certainly get second, definitely get in that top four, or follow fall all the way down with a few losses here to like eighth, ninth, tenth in the league. It's uh, this is about as as close as I've seen a bunch of teams this late in the season in a long time. And what's going to make the Big Ten tournament so interesting, Andrew, is the home court advantage has been so big in the Big Ten this year. Not that it isn't around college basketball, but it's been really pronounced in the Big Ten. And we saw that yesterday. Ohio State did not look good at Iowa the other night. And then they come back yesterday and beat the number one team in the conference at home and then move up in the rankings. So just kind of wild. I'm just interested when we get to Indy, neutral court. It's a neutral. Yeah, Indiana and Purdue are, are close to home, but it you know it is a neutral court atmosphere. Which teams emerge there because it's so close? You look at Ohio, you know teams like Ohio State and Michigan, who were really good early in this season, but then kind of you know hit a valley there in January, are now coming back up out of that valley. A team like Rutgers, who you know. And Illinois were, were playing really well in January, and now they've hit a little bit of a rough patch. Michigan State's been inconsistent. Penn State now has hit kind of a rough, rough patch. Do they bounce back? But once you get to Indy, all of that stuff doesn't matter. You're, you're on the neutral court now. Let's see who the best team is. Yeah, and, and you know, Iowa's been fairly consistent. I, I think they've only lost two games yeah. in a row once this season, and, and one of those was that kind of bizarre game at Nebraska. Um, they, they played well on neutral courts. You know, you beat Cincinnati, you beat Texas Tech down in, in Vegas. Um, so, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see if this team has kind of held on to that uh, as we head into, into postseason play. Obviously a big, big game uh, tomorrow night against Michigan State and then against Penn stayed at home this weekend. Last thing on Hoos before we move on here, uh, Rick Brown has a, a great piece on the site, yeah. HawkeyeNation.com, uh, on Joe Wieskamp and Murray Weir. And and for, I don't know how much you knew about Murray Weir or had heard that name before, Rob, but uh, for me it was all new. I was kind of like Joe Wieskamp in the article saying, well, I should probably look into this a little more. Yeah, usually whatever I know, and I certainly have done a lot just historically from writing throughout the last, you know, 20, 25 years on Iowa sports. It doesn't matter. When I read Rick's stuff, I always learn something yeah. from, you know, his Chris Street book, um, Emotion in Motion, to, you know, whatever he writes stories. He, he's just has a, he's lived through a lot of this stuff. And when he came to me with this story idea, I was like, that's pretty cool. And then he told me that Joe Wieskamp hadn't really, didn't know much about Murray Weir, which is interesting because they both graduated from Muscatine High School. Um, and then Rick goes on to pretty much, you know, write a story that now Joe can read yeah. and learn about who this other dude was from Muscatine who was a great Hawkeye. So, yeah, I encourage everybody to read that piece. And whenever Rick writes, it's just, he's got, uh, 
uh, a story coming up on Kathleen Doyle this week as well, uh, the heart and soul of Iowa's women's team. So looking forward to reading that too. That's fantastic. Yeah, rah, rah, uh, Rick, such a great addition. And uh, I love reading like those old quotes he found from you know the newspapers yeah. in like the 40s. Just the, the way it's written is, is such a different thing. Uh, you mentioned women's hoops, and, and that story from Rick coming later in this week. So let's uh, let's transition there quickly. Uh, big win over Penn State on Saturday. I know you were in the house there. How how was everything there? Yeah, I brought the nine year old with me. She thinks she's pot stuff when she comes with me. She started playing <laughs> basketball this year um, on her on a third grade team with former Hawkeye Cal- Kyle Galloway and his daughter. Uh, we may have talked about this on the pod before, but. Uh, we got a couple more games left in this season, but she's really gotten into basketball and she gets to sit on press row with me and go into the, the post game locker room and, um, or press conference, excuse me. And, uh, she's really enjoying it. And, uh, she enjoyed a really lopsided butt whooping the other day at Carver Hawkeye Arena. You had one of the top teams in the Big Ten in Iowa against, uh, you know, a team that's rebuilding in Penn State. And it, I think it was a six-point game after the first quarter, and then Iowa put together a 27-10 to 10 run in the second quarter, and it was pretty much over from there. And a lot of the starters, like Kathleen Doyle, got to uh, sit out most of the fourth quarter and rest up. So, yeah, it's uh, Iowa – is in in um technically in second place but there's a first place tie uh in the big 10 women's standings at 14 and 2 with northwestern and maryland and mm. iowa's second at 13 and 3 iowa's already locked up a top four so we talked about the men trying to lock up a uh, spot in that top four for the double by the women have already done so uh with two games remaining they they uh, have minnesota at home this coming thursday for senior night for kathleen doyle uh, Amanda Ollinger, um, who's the other seniors? Now I'm going to feel bad for leaving somebody out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, oh, Mackenzie Meyer. Yeah, right, indeed. yes. Um, so, yeah, a big night for the seniors. It will be uh, this Thursday against Minnesota, 7.30 tip at Carver Hawker I Arena. Uh, and then the, the women finish up this weekend uh, at Rutgers against C. Vivian Stringer, and then they will head to the postseason. So, uh Really big, really good chance for them to host again, Andrew. Uh, as as many of you know out there, the women host those first two rounds. The top, I believe it is 16 seeds or whatever it is, get to host. So good chance the Iowa women will again get to host the first couple, couple rounds of the NCAA tournament. And that's, that's obviously a huge advantage. Yeah, and what a season, uh, you know, for Lisa Bluter to put this together after that kind of blowout loss to you and I early in the season. People kind of braced for a, a tough season, which you'd expect losing the National Player of the Year and Megan Gustafson and, you know, awaiting Caitlin Clark from here in Dowling, who's, you know, one of the best players in the country coming in next season. And, and for them not to really have any fall off, for, for them to, as you said, be third place or, you know, tied, or I guess second place after a tie for first in the Big Ten, 13 and three. Um, really, really a cool thing that, that Lisa Bluter has going. It'll be interesting to see kind of then what happens if they can take it back up a notch with, with Caitlin Clark and uh, just kind of keep this program humming. Speaking of a program that's humming, wrestling, another dominant win over Oklahoma State last night, 34-6. to Spencer Lee started off with that big major decision. He had Pat Lugo's pin, which uh, everybody loved. The, the, another huge crowd, undefeated in duels. Um, you know, obviously, Big Ten champions. The, the Big Ten's now March 7th and 8th. Um, this is this is where it, it has to happen for Iowa wrestling at this point. It's, I think people expected maybe not 
the level of dominance they had this season, but certainly a season like this. And then you saw Penn State kind of take a half step back, and so uh, n- now now comes time to prove that that you're you're the big dog again at the bowl, and and you know win the Big Tens, win the NCAA tournament. It's not going to be easy. Penn State is still a very good team, but uh, you feel good about this this wrestling program right now. Yeah, without question, Andrew. And that was impressive last night, Sunday night. Um, you know, that's that's the biggest win Iowa's ever had against Oklahoma State from a from a point uh, standpoint. So that gives you kind of an idea of of how good this team is. Not a great Oklahoma State team by any means. I think they were ranked somewhere around ten. Um, you know, and and obviously they've got some young wrestlers as well. But you just look at last night. I mean, Lugo. Is he may be the only wrestler that they lose out of this lineup? Michael Kemmerer is going for a sixth year of eligibility, having lost two years to injury. He's technically listed as a senior and went through senior night last night, but um, you know, a chance he comes back next year as well. Um, it seems like Iowa's gotten itself back up there, at least I would say at least even with Penn State. I'll say I'll say they've moved ahead of Penn State after they beat Penn State at the Nationals or and and Big Tens, but they're they're there now. They're they're back up on that top floor of the building uh, with a chance to to you know maybe stay there for a while. And um, and it's crazy to think this as good as it's been this year, thirteen and 9 and zero in the Big Ten. You almost feel like if they don't win the national championship this year, it's a disappointment. Do you feel that way? I do. Yeah, I certainly do. And it's 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 a high bar to clear, man. And that that's a lot of expectation to put on a team. Uh, you know, anything short of winning it all is a disappointment. But it, it does feel like that, especially with with Penn State. As I said, kind of taking a step back. I will beat Penn State in Carver Hawkeye Arena a month or so ago. And yeah, it, it feels like that is the, where the bar has been set for this program. And I think if if you probably got Tom Brands uh, hell you probably get him on the mic saying this I think he would probably tell you the same thing yeah I would agree and I, I think that's the mindset in the room right now that you know it's it's championship or bust and like you said that's a lot of pressure to put on yourselves and for other people to put on you but I, I think I was the internal drive and the internal pressure is really what matters and this team seems to have that it just you watch them wrestle and it brings back the old days of iowa wrestling where you have guys that are just on the attack that are aggressive and are looking for bonus points and are just non-stop coming at you um and i would say the last few few duels one of the best signs to see was Austin DeSanto coming back from, you know, the Penn State duel where he got hurt and there was some question about, you know, his the the health of his knee. He's looked really good the last two times out and they need everybody. Penn State is still really good and Iowa needs everybody to perform up to seed, up to expectations mm-hmm. to win this thing. And um it's an exciting time because they're there. The the opportunity is there. Now they they just have to go and take it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. All right, last thing, Rob, do you want to touch on football as the the combine gets underway, the NFL combine, and uh, obviously a few Hawkeyes there, Nate Stanley, Tristan Wirfs, A.J. Epinesa, Geno Stone. I did see a thing this morning from a a draft analyst from from Pro Football Focus saying that uh, he thinks Geno Stone is the most underrated player in the draft. 
Yeah, I think Geno Stone, if he saw that, he's thinking, hey, your Twitter account to God's ears, man. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> you're right. Because this is um, – this is huge for I, I you know for this is big for for Tristan and AJ, but they're first round picks. They have a chance to to move maybe from you know a, a ten to fifteen million dollar signing bonus to one that's like in the twenties. So their their future is is pretty secure. Whereas the other three, this is go time. This mm. is I've got a test well i've got to get into these interviews and these meetings where these player personnel people are asking me you know if you're a tree what kind of tree would you be and and some (laughs) you know just in nonsensical interview processes that they have to go through but it's 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 those showing what you can do athletically because you know, these thing, this thing is affectionately known as the Underwear Olympics, and you have to show what you can do with the pads off because you've already shown what you can do with the pads on. There's plenty of film on what you can do. Now we get down to the nitty-gritty. It, it'll be really interesting. You know, I, I think we expect Werfs and, and Epinesa to go early and, you know, do well this week and all that. Geno Stone, obviously, somebody will be watching, but Nate Stanley, it's going to be interesting to see what, what he does at the combine, uh, if, if he turns any heads. I know a lot of pro people have been looking at him as, as kind of um, a prototypical pro style quarterback for a long time. And, you know, we. You say what you want about him at Iowa. He he had great moments and had put up incredible numbers. Uh, faltered a little bit at, at in in some key moments. There's no doubt, but was certainly a great Hawkeye quarterback and and I think has a chance to be a, a good NFL quarterback as well. It, it'll be interesting to see what he does uh, here this week at the combine. And I know you and I will, will you know regroup next week and and have some more information and be able to talk some more about this. You know, it's interesting for me, and I think Michael Ojemudi has a chance, too. He's a long, versatile defensive back, so rooting for him to have, like the other guys, to have really good weeks. I was thinking about this. um, I took a little bit of a walk to enjoy this weather today before the snowmageddon hits again here in in iowa yeah. i saw like six to ten inches yeah. here in eastern iowa what are you guys supposed it's, to say it's something like that yeah it keeps it what the hell it, it keeps moving i know but it, yeah it was like 60 yesterday and we're gonna be buried in snow tomorrow what the heck? but to, to to expand on the stanley point is you hear okay he's a pro style quarterback but is the pro style changing hmm. you look at you know um um, the kid from Oklahoma last year. Yeah, that Kyler was the, Murray. Yeah. Is that the new – you look at some of the, the top quarterbacks yeah. around the league now. Lamar Jackson, the, Pat Mahomes. Yeah, they're not the prototypical quote-unquote pro-style quarterback. So this is a really interesting time for Nate Stanley because I think there's still room for that type of quarterback – but I'm wondering if we're starting to trend towards that not being hmm. the case. So a little bit I, I'm getting in my own head there a little bit. But that was something I was wondering about today. Well, it'll be fun to watch this week. Uh, anything else that, that we need to touch on before we, uh, before we get out of here, Rob? No. Huge week. Looking yeah. forward to this week for Hawkeye basketball, uh, both men and women, and guys at the NFL Combine, and we'll have plenty to talk about next week. That's right. HawkeyeNation.com. Check it out. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, we'll have more podcasts throughout the week uh, and a bunch of good stuff up there right now. Check it out. Rob, as always, thank you so much. Have a good week. I know we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Thank you for listening. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.